Welcome to the Period Recovery Podcast. I'm your host, Cynthia Donovan, registered dietitian and period recovery expert who has been where you currently are. This is the podcast to listen to if you want your period back month after month, or if you want to restore your fertility and feel more relaxed around food and exercise. Consider this your safe space that will take the guests and the stress out of period recovery and bring you the information, the inspiration, tools, stories, and empowerment that are key in getting your period back month after month. Get ready to be inspired, get ready to get your period back, and get ready to get your life back. Come on, let's dive in. Oh, and real quick, before we get to the show, I want to personally invite you to apply now to the Eat to Regain Your Period group coaching or the Eat to Maintain Your Period group coaching. These two programs will help you take the gas and stress out of period recovery or period maintenance. These are the go-to programs to get your period back twice as quick as doing period recovery alone, restore your fertility, and if you've already got your period back, help you maintain your period for life. If you're listening to this podcast, it tells me you connect to one of these groups. Once in the program, you get a personalized structured plan with food and exercise recommendations to get your period back, restore your fertility, and maintain it for life. To learn more and apply for the next group coaching program, head over to periodnutrition.com backslash programs dash overview. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Period Recovery Podcast. And today I have special guest, Gabrielle, who is a licensed clinical social worker in New Jersey who specializes in the treatment of eating disorders. So Gabrielle actually identifies as a clinician who is in recovery from an eating disorder and even has experienced the loss and recovery of a missing period. So Gabrielle, in addition to her work as a therapist, she supports a group for the National Alliance for Eating Disorders. In addition, she's an experienced writer and she published on sites such as The Mighty and Psychology Today and even has given a TED Talk. So Gabrielle and I chat today about all different things in regards to mindset and recovery, including but not limited to sharing Gabrielle's experience, talking about her TED Talk, which had so many amazing points. We talk about the why wall, which is a why and why you're doing recovery and how to talk about values and stay committed to your action. And then, of course, that little voice in our heads that it's telling us maybe we shouldn't recover. So much packed into this episode. So let's dive in and meet Gabrielle. Hi, Gabrielle. Welcome to the Period Recovery Podcast. Hi, Cynthia. Thanks for having me. I am so excited to have you. I know we made this date like a really long time ago, and I'm like, oh my gosh, all the way in June. So we're recording right now. It's June. It may be a bit until you're hearing this. It could be in the later summer months that you're listening, but Gabrielle and I finally got together to talk about this, and I'm so excited to share your wealthful of knowledge and also more excited to talk about what is currently going on with you that you shared with me. And I'm not sure if you want to share with the audience. Yes, I'm expecting my first child. So I'm about 15 weeks pregnant right now. Um, Again, this is early June. So really excited. And you know, we'll talk a little bit more about what that journey has been like for me even getting to this point being pregnant, but very excited for for this new chapter in my life. Exciting. So exciting. And I mean, pregnancy, regardless, is, is just such a miracle. It's so amazing. It truly is. So let's kind of dig into that. So Gabrielle, you are a therapist. Yes. Yes. 
And so, but you're also a therapist that has struggled with an eating disorder slash disordered eating and also with period loss. So where did this all begin as far as like eating disorder? And then maybe we'll kind of get into how you ended up saying like, all right, you know, I want to do this whole therapy thing. So yeah, would you share a little bit about where where this began for you? Yeah, absolutely. So I feel like my story with disordered eating and eating disorder, you know, that journey started probably around high school, my sophomore, junior year of high school. I was a competitive swimmer. So I was an athlete. I was exercising a lot. I was very, very, you know, active and kind of started to fall victim to a lot of the diet culture messaging, a lot of the disordered eating messaging, especially around being an athlete that was in a bathing suit for the majority of my time. I was exercising a lot, not eating enough, kind of really struggling with maintaining my nutritional needs and also psychologically and emotionally kind of struggling with the diet culture messaging, social media was really starting to, you know, become on the rise at that point. And also, I was struggling with OCD, too. So that's kind of my comorbidity here. I just want to mention that because I think it's important is I struggled with disordered eating and OCD. And I still, you know, live with OCD as well. So the combination of those two disorders and those two things that were happening in my brain really became this perfect storm of just disordered eating, overexercising, not giving myself enough nutrition and really struggling with anxiety and feeling very anxious about pretty much every decision that I was making regarding my body and regarding, you know, what I was doing. So I'd say, you know, my junior year of high school was really the pivotal point because I did lose my cycle. I was I lost my period around that time and I had had it regularly for the past couple of years. You know, I started my cycle the normal time that you're supposed to and then lost it. So around, you know, that high school, junior of high school time period, that was really a pivotal point where I noticed, my family noticed, my parents, et cetera, were kind of like, okay, something, something's going on here. Something might need to be addressed. Yeah. And thank you for sharing that, Gabrielle. And you know what I was going to ask was before people were like, oh, you know, something's going on. Was there, and especially before you lost your cycle, was there anything you thought you were doing wrong? Like, did you know like this was an issue or was it just so, you know, normalized that you didn't think anything was up? Yeah. In hindsight, my body was giving me signs that I was not taking care of it properly. I had some physical symptoms. I was cold all the time. I had some like circulation kind of issues going on. Those were really the first telltale signs. I was very, very obsessed with the scale and was really struggling with, you know, that relationship with the scale in my house. So there was definitely some signs, maybe some also signs of orthorexia to some degree of being very obsessed with clean eating, healthy eating, those types of things. So I think deep down, I knew something was off and that I wasn't taking taking care of myself properly. But it really wasn't something I was ready to address or admit yet. Yeah. And it's so hard too, especially being that age, I mean, at that age, we are so influenced by everything, but you know, the people who really care about us, like our parents um, or maybe doctors. So it makes it hard. And then, you know, it makes it so normalized that I'm sure many of your friends or maybe, you know, swim teammates were doing similar things. So it, it is, it's hard to see in the moment until things start to happen and we start to notice and other people start to notice. So when you lost your cycle in high school and your parents started to become concerned and so forth, what happened from there? Yeah, so my mom took me to my pediatrician. And again, this is something I only know in hindsight, being an eating disorder therapist now is my pediatrician, love her, she was amazing. But 
in hindsight, did not handle the situation the way, you know, that was probably going to be the most helpful. So she handled it by putting me on the birth control pill and kind of using that to jumpstart or regulate my cycle. So, and at the time, I didn't know any different. My parents didn't know any different. We were just kind of like, okay, if the doctor says we're doing the pill, then we're doing the pill. So that was really kind of the bandaid on the situation for many, many years. So I was on the pill for the better part of, of 10 years after that, after going on the pill in high school. So that was kind of the bandaid on the situation, even though I did not do anything behaviorally, nutritionally at that point to really take care of myself any better. Yeah. And I know you could probably speak to this and it's a probably a frustration of yours as well as it is for me, but not only the whole period thing, you know, when kids go into the pediatrician, but like there's no tools, there's no, and maybe there is now more than there was, I don't know, but there's nothing to pick up on. Like this, this young woman has more than just like a missing period problem. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So I hope we've come a little bit farther than 10 plus years ago, but I am not so sure, especially when was it? I think it was, I don't know, maybe like six months ago, the American Academy of Pediatrics came out with something. What was it? I can't remember off the top of my head. Weight, uh, weight guidelines for kids as young as toddlers, you know? Yeah, yeah. Not only is our society in general, but potentially like, I don't want to call them out particularly because it's more than just you know, the American Academy of Pediatrics, but like they're driving more of this behavior to happen. So anyways, we we won't get into that right now. But so you went on the pill for like 10 years. There was no, you know, addressing of, you know, behavioral stuff like that because you didn't know. You only know what you know when you know it, right? So then flash forward between those maybe 10 years, when was it like, okay, like this is a problem. Like, you know, what what is going on? I need to address something. Right. So I would say that even though I was still on the pill, my recovery journey started during those 10 years that I was on it. Like that definitely kind of there was some overlap there with still being on the pill and not really knowing if my cycle was normal or would be normal and also realizing, hey, I need to do something about what's going on here. And I, this kind of leads into what you were mentioned before about my role as a therapist. And my, my job is I really, really wholeheartedly believe that choosing to go into the career path of being a therapist was the first catalyst into my eating disorder recovery. Because what happened was I was in college. I went to college at the University of Miami. So I, again, I was in an environment where all year round it was summer and we were in bathing suits and there was a lot of diet culture messaging, a lot of toxic stuff related to eating and drinking and all that kind of stuff. And so in that environment, it really was not conducive to recovery. So at that point, I was still very much struggling. But I was starting to recognize the disordered nature of my behaviors and my thought patterns. And I started kind of planting the seeds for myself. So I started going to like a project, I went to a project heal meeting on campus. So I started kind of engaging with eating disorder literature with eating disorder organizations, going to a few meetings, doing some own research to kind of be able to recognize in myself what was exactly going on. And also again, plant the seeds for my own my own recovery. But I will say it wasn't until after I graduated college and went to school for my master's that I really said, okay, I'm, I'm ready now. Like I want to recover. I don't want to do this anymore because I want to be able to be a person for my clients that can say, I've been through this. I'm going through this. I've lived it. Like I can relate to you and I'm choosing recovery. I'm choosing recovery today. And I didn't feel like I could be a therapist and not be addressing this major disordered part of myself. I feel like that would be very hypocritical of me and I didn't really want that. 
And that's amazing, Gabrielle, to share that because you could probably attest to this because you probably know more therapists than I do. But sometimes therapists are still not addressing their own stuff, right? So it's hurtful for them, but hopefully they're still doing their due diligence and being able to serve and support their clients. But that is great to hear because that empathy that like I've been through this is such a pivotal connection. And I see it with my clients because, you know, I lost my cycle. And so just having that same empathy, it just to me, I feel like it allows you to go a lot, lot deeper and connect more. And that trust as you know, and eating disorder recovery and, you know, trust and is so important with you and your practitioner. So, and that's an amazing way to build it. So thank you for sharing all of that. So it was around master's time. You're like, all right, I'm nipping this in the butt once and for all. So what did that look like for you? And when did you figure out, so I guess it's two parts. So when did you figure out like the whole being on birth control was masking your missing period, or maybe you didn't know that. So Yeah, so I started becoming very engaged on social media with a lot of recovery oriented accounts. So eating disorder dietitians, therapists, you know, people like yourself and where the literature out there in terms of what I was digesting on social media was very much recovery oriented. It was a lot of psychoeducation about, you know, things that I had experienced. But until that moment, I was like, Oh, my gosh, I didn't even realize other people we're experiencing this as well, or we're kind of having these thoughts, we're having these, you know, experiences. So I really dove headfirst into a lot of my own education regarding eating disorder recovery and period loss and what that meant. And also what the impacts were beyond just not having a period or not being able to conceive like how it impacted my body in other ways to not have a period or to potentially not be having a period. So I did do a lot of my own self education at that stage, especially because you know, master's programs, they cover a lot in two years. So the eating disorder chapter of my master's program was like a little blip on the radar compared to the overall program. However, I knew pretty early on that this was something I wanted to dive into more because of my own personal experience. So I just went headfirst into a lot of self-education and learning about intuitive eating, learning about all this stuff. And I brought it up with my therapist too for, I wouldn't say for the first time, but maybe seriously for the first time. I think we kind of mentioned little pieces of my disordered eating history over the years. But this was the first time where I was like, no, like, I really want to talk about this. I want you to challenge me on this. Like, this is something that I want to, I really want to work on. And again, we need to support of of family and friends and my now husband who has been with me this entire journey. So that's kind of like an overview of that period. And I'm happy to know dive into any more specifics. But those were kind of pivotal years for me for many reasons. Yeah, amazing, Gabrielle. Way to turn, you know, a type of hardship into such an amazing opportunity for yourself and for other individuals that are lucky enough to have crossed paths with you. So that's amazing. So the period thing, a lot of self-education, which is great. And I heard you say, I, you know, I kind of finally realized like I, I wasn't the only one dealing with this, right? Because I think for so many, I know I felt this way, like, I, and again, this was a really long time ago, and there wasn't as much social media and stuff and research out there, but I just remember feeling so alone, like I'm the only one struggling with this. And so for you, you know, feeling that way, I guess, what advice would you give to others out there if they're feeling like, oh, you know, obviously, if they're listening to my podcast now, they know they're not the only one. But (laughs) how did you shift that mindset to being like, oh, wow, like, it's just not me. And maybe I need to do something about it. Yeah, that's a great question. And 
I will say it was a gradual mindset shift. And I think, you know, that's the case with many mindset shifts is it wasn't a switch one day where I was like, oh my gosh, I'm making this switch. It's just happening. It was more of, I was very deliberate with, I guess, the type of information that I was consuming. And I really kind of curated what I was consuming to match a very pro recovery mindset because I needed that extra boost because I, you know, for many people in recovery, there might be that moment of like, I want to recover, but I also am scared and I don't really know how and I don't know where to start and I don't know, you know, if I can really do it and all that type of stuff. So I think for me, following some of those social media accounts of, you know, licensed, registered dietitians, all like professional people, of course, really, really catapulted me into this world of body acceptance, body neutrality, understanding the way my body works, trusting my body, really being able to say, okay, my body knows what it needs to do. And I don't need to dictate it and kind of, you know, have this ultimate control over my body, because it will know what to do. And it will know how to take care of me, I just have to let it and I have to listen to it. And that sense of freedom of knowing that I wasn't alone in that process, because everyone that I was interacting with on social media or following or kind of learning from had been through similar things. And we're going through that process of letting their body do the talking for maybe the first time in years. And that's really what I was going through as well at that time was learning how to let my body do the talking again and listening to it. Yeah, connecting with our bodies because we have spent a long, long time being disconnected. I just remember the feeling for me looking back, you know, I didn't know it at the time, but I look back, I saw myself as like, two different people, like I not connecting with my body. I was like living outside of my body, if that makes sense. And letting everything else control it, such as, you know, certain calorie diets, you know, going to the gym. Oh, you're hungry? I don't think so. You just ate, you know, cough, cough. I just ate a salad with grilled chicken and vegetables, you know? So yeah, so there, there's a lot there. And so you got your period back. And how did you do it? And now you're pregnant. Yeah. So that's been a long journey too. So I know that for a lot of people that I work with in eating or recovery and for myself, we all need reasons why we're doing it. We all need reasons why we're choosing recovery. And for me, I decided a few years ago, I, you know, I always knew I wanted to be a mom. I always knew I wanted to have kids. But when you're in high school, college, like it's not really, you're not really actually seriously thinking about it. It's kind of, you know, it's in the future. So the fact that I didn't have my period in high school and college, I was like, eh, whatever, like, you know, I'll deal with that when the time comes. And then, you know, as I got older and I got married and we really started thinking about starting a family, I was overcome with this moment of, oh my gosh, I really, really want this. And I don't know for sure if I'll be able to have it. I was still on the pill at this point. I was doing a lot of recovery work in a lot of ways, you know, I had improved my relationship with my body and food and exercise and all of those things, but I was still on the pill. So I didn't have proof necessarily that it had actually been, you know, worth it or working or doing the things that I was hoping it would do. So I made the decision to come off the pill close to a year ago now, not knowing what was going to happen, not knowing what was going on. And all the while, my reason for challenging the eating disorder thoughts, for challenging this exercise thoughts or the diet culture messaging, all that was, I want to be a mom, like I want to be able to conceive kids naturally, of course, if there's other reasons I can't do that. So be it, but I do not want the reason to be that I am not taking care of myself or that I'm restricting or that I'm not taking care of my body. And looking forward to the future, if and when I do become a mom, I want to be able to foster a healthy relationship with food and body image in my children. I don't want them to see me as someone who's struggling with those things. 
because I don't want to raise them in that kind of environment where they're struggling with disordered eating or anything like that, at least as much as I can help it, of course, because there will be other influences along the way. So that was my why. That was my motivation. I was like, there's something here that is so important to me that it's worth challenging the hard stuff. It's worth challenging the discomfort. It's worth challenging all the things that I've been struggling with over the years. So I went off the pill and my cycle came back normally within, I think, like a little bit over a month. So fairly, fairly normal, regularly. I just remember the moment. No one likes getting their period. But for us, I'm sure you can relate too. Like, Uh, heck yeah. Yeah, that first period when after not having it for a while, I was like jumping for joy. Like it was it was incredible feeling. And obviously, you know, it's not like the the battle was over. There wasn't more work to be done. But that moment of like, oh, my gosh, I've had I had a natural period was incredible. Oh, amazing, Gabrielle. It It is. It truly is. I still remember the first day my period came back. Still remember it. Like it is a core memory for me, for sure. And just goes to show you that, Gabrielle, you were doing the work of refueling your body and resting it enough in order for it to get a cycle. And that pill that you were on for 10 plus years didn't kickstart anything, didn't reset anything. It was you that put in the work of eating enough and resting your body enough and taking care of your mental health. And so then you obviously ovulated because you are pregnant. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So that there was a couple months where I was just getting reacclimated with my cycle and figuring out what was going on. And yeah, then came the time where we were like, you know what, let's see what happens. Let's see. and again, and you know, I know you've talked about this on some of your other podcasts and things, just because you have a period doesn't necessarily mean you're ovulating. So that was my other concern is, you know, I'm having a regular period, but I wasn't sure if I was ovulating. I was trying to figure out those signs for my body and really, you know, figure that out. So there was still a lot of uncertainty going on. But long story short, as we are today, I'm pregnant and I ovulated and proudest moment of my life so far. And I haven't even become a mom yet was getting that positive pregnancy test because I knew what it had taken to get there and what I you know, had to go through and challenge just to be able to get there because there were so many potential roadblocks along the way. I mean, I was quite honestly, very, very scared that I would not be able to conceive naturally, or it would take a very long time and was really struggling with those feelings of that I had essentially, you know, caused it or done it to myself in some way. Obviously, you know, I wasn't blaming myself for my eating disorder, because in a lot of ways, it was, you know, it's not something we choose. But at the same time, I was very much struggling with those feelings. Yeah, of course. That guilt is a big, 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 big thing that comes up for so many of us, especially those that are like, all right, well, now I'm ready to be a mom. And what did I do to myself? And just like you said, we we don't choose the disordered eating, the eating disorder. And I'm not saying it chooses us, but it's so multifaceted into why this happens to people in the world. And luckily, there's many of us that are, I don't know if you want to say fortunate enough or able to cross paths with individuals that can support us and serve us into getting the assistance we need to overcome this kind of stuff. Because there's many out there that still haven't even scratched the surface that something deeper is going on and they're just being band-aided with pills or IVF or so forth. So I heard you say before, you know, getting your period back, you had a why. And before Gabrielle and I met, I listened to her TEDx talk, which we'll link in the show notes, which is amazing. And she talks about her why wall. So could you share a little bit more about what is the why wall and how could it be beneficial for someone going through disordered eating slash eating disorder period recovery? 
Yeah. So my why wall has been instrumental to me. And I forget exactly where I first got the idea or where it first came from. I believe I, I read it somewhere, heard about it somewhere. And I really decided I need reminders every day of you know why I'm doing this, why I'm choosing the hard things. And so what my why wall is, is essentially a collection of post-its on my wall, all under the heading of the word why. And it's a, just a collection of big things, small things, everything in between of why I'm choosing recovery or why I'm choosing to do the hard things and go through the discomfort for something bigger than than this moment. So of course, on there was one to be a mom. Also on there were things like, you know, for my dog or for my family or for my clients or things like that. And then there were also some fun ones, because I needed reminders sometimes that you know, ice cream is delicious, dessert is delicious, all those things taste good, it's okay to eat for enjoyment, like all those types of reminders that get clouded by the eating disorder voice, they all were wise on my wall. And I think what was helpful was having a wide spectrum of maybe kind of little or trivial wise versus like the big ones such as being a mom was really pivotal because every day is different. Every day we might need a different why. We might need something a little bit stronger. We might need something, you know, maybe we just need that little extra boost. We just need that like ice cream's delicious. And then we're like, okay, great. Like, you know, I, I, I can choose recovery today. And other days it's hard. The grind is hard of eating disorder recovery. And I'm really struggling with the thoughts or with the urges or with some of the diet culture messaging. And I need something bigger. Like I want to be a mom one day. So that's why I'm going to challenge this thought in this moment today. And having that why wall has just been so amazing for me. And I've encouraged some of my clients to do the same. And I know some of them have because we all have reasons that we're willing to tolerate discomfort. We all have reasons we're willing to do hard things. And sometimes in the midst of those hard things or the you know potential to do hard things, we lose sense of why we might be doing it in the first place or why it's important because we might not see the fruits of our labor today, but we can see it a couple of years from now or a couple of months from now. And we need that reminder day to day of why we're doing those hard things. Yeah, absolutely. The whys are so important. And when you say why wall, it literally was a wall of sticky notes, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Yep. And I mean, I know I have I you can't see them here, but I have sticky notes everywhere. And like, I like to put my why for doing what I do. Not that I ever forget it because I literally wake up every day in my, you know, career path that I am just so excited to come to work every day. So it's not like a matter of showing up, but like just a matter of having the best mindset possible so I can be in the best service to my clients and my audience. So, but yes, putting sticky notes places, making a why wall is so helpful and such a little, you know, easy thing that we we can do. And so going into the why, so we have our why's, but also I talk a lot with my clients about values and which simultaneously is I don't want to say like a why, but it's also, you know, a core belief of ours that could also help us keep going. So could you share a little bit about, you call, I think, an acronym of ACT ACT and talking about values and committed action and why values, we should really focus on that more than the, the fear of all of this. Yeah. So values and whys are very closely related. And honestly, I use them interchangeably in a lot of ways. They're not you know, exactly synonymous, but they are very closely related. And so in ACT, which stands for acceptance and commitment therapy, there's six tenets of ACT. And, you know, obviously, we're not going to go through all of them today. But one of them is value or two of them, values and committed action are two of the six. And they kind of go hand in hand, because 
what happens when you're using the therapeutic model of ACT is, you know, as a therapist, I help my clients identify values. So things that are important to them intrinsically, things they hold true to be values to themselves, such as, you know, I'm a good student, I'm a good therapist, I'm a, I want to be a good mom, I want to be, you know, a responsible person, a caring person, those types of things that we hold true to ourselves, and they're bigger than us, there are values that either were instilled in us, or we developed them over time. And what happens is those values will guide our committed action, they'll guide the actions that we take, and the actions that we commit to and the actions that we really dive into wholeheartedly. So in terms of eating disorder recovery, and you know, just use my personal story as an example, for me, one of my values, even though it wasn't tangible in the moment was I want to be a mom that is steady in her own recovery and her own relationship with food, body image, and I want to be able to raise my children in a home that is free from diet culture, free from any of those influences that, you know, I felt that I'd been susceptible to in my teenage years and really do my best to work on myself so that I could raise my children and become become a good mom. And for me, the committed action that resulted from that value was diving headfirst into a really hard thing, which we know is eating disorder recovery and period recovery. And so having that value, even though it wasn't quite tangible in the moment, I obviously wasn't pregnant yet, wasn't going to be a mom, wasn't even ready to be a mom quite yet. But it was a value that I was able to identify and really grab onto and hold near and dear to my heart and inspired a series of committed actions and a series of, you know, experiences that I chose in accordance with this value. And it was something that I was able to put above my fear. It wasn't the fear wasn't there because it was the fear is always there. The discomfort is always there. But the idea is that with having a committed action associated with a value, you're able to put those things above the fear or at least see it with the fear and see kind of be able to reconcile the existence of both. Yeah, yeah. And hopefully maybe choose that value or make those decisions based on that value versus making the decision based on fear. And I I talk about that a lot because there's so many fears that come along with period recovery. Like, is it going to work for me? Am I even going to get my period back? How much weight am I going to have to gain? How long is it going to take? What if, you know, I gain all this weight and it doesn't work? I may have already said that, but like, you know, over and over. And these are all fear all fear, all fear. And if we continue to let our decisions be guided by fear versus values or by our whys, likely we're just going to stay stuck. Yep. There's no reason to to challenge it or there's no reason to move forward if we don't let the values shine through. Yeah. Or, or some type of why. And for me too, Gabrielle, my why, a big why of mine was I wanted to be a mom too. And so I just want to talk, you know, a little bit about what if the reason for period recovery, eating disorder, disordered eating recovery, we're like, well, I'm either not thinking about being a mom for a really long time, or I don't even want to be a mom. It's actually just, this was brought up in my group coaching the other day. It's like all these other women, you know, want babies eventually or now or yesterday. So how, you know, what, I guess what advice or, you know, what would you say to that patient slash client if they're like, well, I don't even want to be a mom. Yeah, that's a good question. I encourage clients to think of what has your eating disorder taken away from you that is really important to you or something that you're missing or something that you feel like you're missing out on or you wish you could 
have it back or have it for the first time. So usually the answer to that is something with regard to relationships or a goal or an experience that the eating disorder is not allowing them to have. So, you know, for a lot of people, they'll say, you know, I used to go out to dinner with my friends all the time. And now, you know, I haven't gone out with them in months, and they don't even reach out to me anymore. And like, I really miss those relationships, but the eating disorder is, you know, taken that away from me. And that becomes the why it becomes this idea of, you know, my why is I want to be connected to my friends again, or to my husband again, or to other people in my life. Other times, the people's whys are similar to what I talked about before in terms of a career path, right? So I've had a couple clients where they want to become a therapist, or they want to become a dietitian, or they want to like an eating disorder dietitian, and they kind of have this personal experience with those things, but they want to become a professional in the field. And in order to do that, they use that as their why for recovery. So there's always something in these conversations that comes out of what is the eating disorder taking away from you? What is missing from your life because of the eating disorder? If you could live a life free from your eating disorder, what would that look like? That's a really good question too. And kind of figuring out, okay, if that's what your life looks like free from an eating disorder, what's different about what your life looks like now with the eating disorder? Like what are the main differences there or the main contrast? And how can we get yourself to a place where the life you're living is closer to that life free from an eating disorder where you don't feel like you're missing those important things or you're losing those important things that the eating disorder is taking from you. Yeah, absolutely. And sometimes for those that are struggling with eating disorder or even disordered eating, I think you got to be in a place where you actually know, right, it's a problem, right? So getting there, definitely step one, because there are, you know, I have met with many women, either, you know, they end up becoming clients of mine, or they're not quite ready yet to make the changes. And it's like, well, you know, I, I don't like, I don't, think there is anything missing from my life. It's like, how do we break that barrier? And to me, it comes down to, you know, being in a place of readiness, something might have to occur for you to be like, oh, crap, like, I got to wake up and call. And so with that being said, there's the voice of the disordered eating, eating disorder, which I think becomes smaller over time if you work on it. But in the beginning, when maybe we think we sort of have a problem, but that voice of the eating disorder is you know, a lot of times just in the back of every decision, every thought. And so what, I mean, what is your advice, if any, and I know this is it's going to be individualized from person to person, but, you know, typical like, all right, well, how do I quiet this damn voice so I could actually move forward and, you know, maybe focus on my whys or my values? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think for me, you know, just from my personal experience, the first step of that was letting other people's voice be my voice for a while. And by that, I mean, I really there was a time period where I knew I wanted recovery, I knew that it was something I wanted to work towards, but I did not have necessarily a loud enough recovery voice to do it. You know, I don't want to say on my own, because we should never do it on our own, but kind of do it internally. So by that, I mean, for a long time, like my husband was, you know, he has a very good relationship with food, he always has, and he was able to help be my recovery voice for a while until I was able to kind of adopt that voice myself. Same thing with my therapist or my parents or other people close to me. I think letting someone else kind of be the recovery voice, someone that is able to model that relationship with food and body image that you're striving for can be really, really beneficial because 
while that's happening, while someone else is kind of like being the voice or being the little person on your shoulder, it's strengthening your own recovery voice. It's planting those nuggets. It's planting those seeds in your own brain where eventually your own recovery voice gets stronger and louder and it's it's building and, you know, it becomes your own voice. But initially, you know, whether it's a treatment provider or someone in your support system, it can be helpful to have someone else be that voice for a little bit. And there's no shame in that because you're building a muscle or strengthening a muscle that has become very, very weak over the months, years, etc. that you've been in your eating disorder. And just like any other muscle or any other thing that you're trying to strengthen, we need a little help sometimes. And we need someone else to maybe guide us or show us the moves or show us the motions that we need to go through. And there's there's no shame in that. So I think letting someone else be your recovery voice for a little bit can be really beneficial. And the other thing that, com- that comes to mind that I just want to mention real quick is there was a quote that stuck with me regarding, I'm going to butcher the the actual quote, and I'll try to find it. But the idea is that things scream louder when they're dying. That's kind of the quotes that things scream louder when they're dying. And for me, that was a pivotal quote in my eating disorder recovery, because as you're challenging the eating disorder, as you're challenging those thoughts and challenging, you know, those things going through your head, the eating disorder voice does get louder, it starts screaming, it starts going like completely crazy about what you're doing or what you're challenging about it or what you're not listening to about it. And it was a very pivotal moment for me to realize, okay, this means I'm doing the right thing. This means I'm really working and doing recovery because the eating disorder voice is screaming louder because it's dying, because I'm challenging it, because you know it's getting weaker. Yeah, I love that, Gabrielle. Absolutely love that because I usually tell my clients, like if it feels uncomfortable, like, you know, with what you're doing, you're you're likely like moving forward and, you know, doing things differently for a step in the right direction. But yeah, if that voice is screaming louder, it's going away. And I think for so many of us, I don't know if it's upbringing or whatever it may be. I just remember this when I first read Glennon Doyle's book, Untamed. I don't know if you've read that. So it's it's a really easy short. Well, it's not short, but like they're very small chapters. But anyway, she talks about how, and I'm going to totally butcher this as well, but like for some reason, we have all grown up or most of us have grown up to believe like life shouldn't be hard. Like things shouldn't, they should just be easy. We should always be happy. We should always be smiling. I know that was for me. And like things should always feel good. And I know also for me, like when I was younger, I was an only child. My mom would always, amazing mom, but she wouldn't let me, you know, make mistakes. Not that she didn't want to see me fail, but that was her way of like helping me and being there as a mom. I just think when I was going through recovery, this was before Glennon Doyle was out or around, I just put together like, things aren't supposed to be easy. They're supposed to be hard. Okay, well, if that's the case, you know, then all right, things are supposed to be hard sometimes. You know, and it was just some type of like aha moment for me where I was like, okay, you know, so knowing that when things are hard, it's okay that they're hard. And there's a quote, and I don't know who it's from. It's either we live in comfortable misery or we have to go through a little bit of painful growth, right? And there's two outcomes, right? We do the hard stuff. Only one outcome is going to lead us to maybe the unicorns and butterflies, which, you know, we'll just say for right now is a period. So I want to just reiterate that one more time. If you guys, you know, are doing recovery and things are getting seemingly harder or voices are getting louder, you're likely moving in the right direction. But also too, making sure you get support is cornerstone, just like you said in your first point, whether it's from a family member, but also making sure that family member is, mm, you might be able to say this better than me, Gabrielle, but like isn't going to 
hold you back either. Cause it's like, you know, we, we don't, we love these family members and friends and so forth, but it's like, when, when do we know we need to seek out professional support in combo with our family support? Right. And I'm not sure that's probably different for everybody, but would you say it, it would be beneficial for anyone struggling for disordered eating, eating disorder, losing their period to be working with some type of professional support? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. I usually recommend at the very least a therapist and a dietitian because then you get that combined benefit of, you know, the emotional support, the mental support, as well as the nutritional support. Because I tell my clients all the time, you know, I know eating disorders, I lived it, etc. But I'm not a dietitian. I'm not a nutritionist, like any nutrition advice or specifics regarding that is out of my scope. And I can't speak to that. But it is very important to recovery. So at the very least, absolutely. I think therapist, nutritionist, dietitian, critical to eating disorder recovery. Absolutely. And they work hand in hand. I mean, well, let's just say you have a full-blown eating disorder versus disordered eating, which is, you know, I don't want to say less intense. uh, But anyways, if you are not addressing your nutrition needs and you're still under fueling, to be able to access those parts of our brain to make behavioral changes that are long lasting are going to be impossible to access. Would you agree? Yes, your brain is not in peak form if you're not fueling yourself properly. It's hard to even make those choices or challenge those thoughts. Absolutely. And so speaking of professionals therapy, I know, I don't want to say I feel like over time, it's become more, what's the word I'm looking for? Like usual that people do have therapists, but like 10, 15 years ago, it's like, oh, you're seeing a therapist. Oh my gosh. Like, are you okay? (laughs) You know, but what would you say the level of importance on a scale from one to 10 that somebody should be getting therapy during their eating disorder recovery? Well, of course, I'm a little biased, but I would say 10 out of 10. I think it's good. I think it's crucial because your therapist is able to provide unbiased third party, listen, active listening, reflective listening, support, guidance, all of those things that even the most educated, well-meaning family member will not be able to provide simply because they're a person who loves you or a person who cares for you. And for a therapist, obviously, we love and care for our clients in different types of ways, but it is very much a different relationship. And I think it's crucial to have that support person in your network when you're going through recovery because it is not something that we're meant to do alone. We're not meant to do recovery alone. And I think that having that support person in the form of a therapist can be, you know, a matter of night and day in terms of your recovery and your journey and, you know, how you continue to live your life even beyond your recovery or beyond your eating disorder. Yeah, absolutely. And every good therapist will likely have a therapist, right, Gabrielle? Yes. So I want to know if you have any, because I I always am a big fan of my clients seeking therapy in conjunction with period recovery. Also a little bit apprehensive because I'm like, well, make sure you find a good one. And not because there are, you know, therapists out there that A, don't have disordered eating slash eating disorder experience. And then there's also therapists out there that might promote more of an eating disorder or disordered eating. So if you had any, you know, few tips to share on how do you pick a good one and I mean, granted, women are listening across the world, so I know healthcare isn't the same in every country. But if you had to like name a couple few tips of like just generalize across the board advice of picking a good therapist, yeah. So you know, taking away, like you said, the limitations of healthcare and insurance and all of those things. Two things come to mind. One is looking for kind of the buzzwords of eating disorder recovery therapist. So looking for and also once you meet the therapist kind of validating that they actually know these things intuitive eating health at every size like anti-diet you know 
therapist, those types of buzzwords that kind of really signal to us as professionals, like, okay, this person is working through eating disorder journeys with clients from a non-diet, intuitive eating, health at every size kind of lens. Those types of buzzwords are good to look for. And then also, like I said, once you talk to the therapist, really validate that that's what their approach is and that's what their mindset is. And the other thing that comes to mind is some of the eating disorder organizations have really good referral networks out there. So, you know, I work closely with the Alliance for Eating Disorders and they have a referral app. They have an app, they have a, you know, referral network that, you know, they have a list of therapists they've vouched for that work with eating disorders and know what they're talking about. And they can absolutely help connect you with, you know, those types of professionals. So really leaning into kind of those organizations that can can help connect you with resources that specialize in eating disorders. And there's there's lots of them out there. Like I said, the Alliance is one, they're amazing, but there's a few others out there as well that can help navigate that process. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that, Gabrielle. So I like to ask one question before I wrap up with all of my clients and guests. And that is because when I want to support women in regaining their period. I also want to support them in regaining a lot of their life back that losing their period, disordered eating, so forth stole. So I want to ask the question, how are you living now? Okay. I think the biggest change has been in the past couple of months as I'm navigating being pregnant for the first time and realizing just how far I've come in my eating disorder recovery. Because as you know, you're a mom, you've been pregnant, like pregnancy is a wild ride in terms of eating and you know, cravings and not feeling great, feeling great. Like it's just, there's nothing you can do except listen to your body. Like there's really no other choice sometimes, but listen to your body and kind of listen to what it's trying to tell you. And I have been fully able to lean into that journey and that experience over the past couple of months. And just reflecting on it so far has been incredible for me because I know for a fact, if I had been pregnant, even five, 10 years, like whatever length of time prior, it would not have been the same experience for me. I would have really struggled with kind of the way my body was giving me different signals or changing or, you know, telling me different things, or I had to listen to my body because I still had the eating disorder voice kind of calling the shot. So the past few months have been incredibly pivotal for me and a really big turning point in terms of reflection regarding how far I've come in my eating disorder recovery and just how much the work that I was doing behind the scenes, even before I wanted to have my period back or before I wanted to become pregnant, all that work was worth it and really was instrumental to where I am today because it was all necessary to be at this point where I'm pregnant, my body's changing, my food preferences are changing, I'm growing a human and I'm able to say, I trust my body fully and I know that it's doing what it needs to do and I can listen to it. And that's been an incredible experience for me. Oh, I am sure, Gabrielle. And I can feel all of that. And I mean, I see it in your face and it's an amazing, indescribable feeling, right? Just completely indescribable to be able to just go with it. And I have to say, and you'll probably have another pivotal moment just coming from a woman who has, you know, struggled herself and also gotten pregnant that once you deliver that little baby and you're able to say like, oh, I don't have to go work out. Like I could just take a nap when they do. Or, you know, I remember my partner then I was so hungry. I was breastfeeding. Like, I was like feed like I was feeding the baby. I'm like you need to feed me and I'm eating pasta with like cheese and like I just know I I needed fuel and energy and so it's it's one less layer on doing this new stuff 
that could be unknown and challenging for women that don't really sit well with the unknown or are working on it. So amazing. I am just so excited for you. And I look forward to all the amazing things to come for you and that little tiny little human you're growing and your family. So Gabrielle, tell us where we can find you if anyone is looking to uh, reach out. Yeah, that's so I am probably easiest to find on Instagram. So if you want to find me on Instagram, my handle is therapist who sees a therapist with underscores in between each word. So that might be easier to just type out or kind of look for. So it's therapist who sees a therapist with underscores and my name Gabrielle Ferrara and I'm an LCSW. So you can find me there. Amazing. And I will link this to the show notes. But Gabrielle, thank you again so much for taking the time out of your day to chat with us, share your story and share so much knowledge and information that I know truly will serve others. Thank you so much for having me, Cynthia. Hi, guys. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please take a moment to think and reflect on how this could be helpful in your period recovery journey. I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for listening to the Period Recovery Podcast. We know there are a lot of pods out there, and I'm so excited and grateful you are here listening with me. If you need more support on your period recovery journey, schedule a time to chat with me on my website, periodnutritionist.com. If you found this podcast helpful, please help me spread awareness on missing periods by subscribing, leaving a review, and sharing this podcast with others. Are you ready to get your period back and your life back? I'll see you in two weeks.